start. Yes, so we are live now. And, uh, oh, end times for dummies, lesson eight. Uh, so I, I want to encourage you, if you didn't go to the website and get the latest resource, the latest study guide, uh, we put in the uh, proposed timeline that we came up with after going through all of the Old Testament scriptures, the Tanakh, uh, and then all of the New Testament or apostolic scriptures up to Revelation. So um, it was interesting to see the color coding there, to see that uh, when a prophet spoke about end times, they were evidently speaking about a specific portion of the end times rather than a free-for-all and just coming up with stuff. So I want to encourage you to download that and, and get that. And then... Um, Was that updated in a recent post on there? I updated the file itself. So if you download okay, so it's the, the file, same yeah, just go to the same deal. Um, I just didn't uh, um, want to send it out. So you just download it and, and you should be good there. And then uh, Scott and I uh, are tag-teaming for the rest of the uh, study which you'd think would be pretty short hmm. since it's just one book. But this book has 22 chapters and uh, our previous practice of coming in and kind of reading through what we had studied and then commenting on it is going to be virtually impossible. Uh, Scott may have us do a little bit of that tonight, but as, as a practice for Revelation, there's just so much stuff to go through. We'll be here until Rosh Hashanah if we don't uh, kick it in the fanny and, and get it done. So um, we've got the seals, the trumpets, and then uh, the bowls. And we've got, we've got a little an interlude in there with uh, <coughs> some other stuff. So. Um, Four or five lessons, maybe, and then we'll be able to tie it up. Um, uh, focusing again on sequence, not on substance, right? Who, who's the Antichrist? It's 666, who's that guy? Is it Ronald Reagan? Come on, you know. Um, that's not the focus. Uh, did you, have, you, have you never heard that one? That yeah. can't be. <laughs> yeah, Ronald something Reagan. Awesome. <laughs> always impressive. It's always impressive. Yeah. It's a good president. Yes, yeah, so Ronald Reagan, Reagan uh, six six six. You know, uh, there was a big thing when he was the president. Um, so, at, at any rate, my my point is, that's not the focus of this class. It's so that we would understand the sequence of events, so that we might not be surprised, and more importantly, that we could actually be knowing. What, what, what are we doing? Josh, Josh said, is there a live audio feed tonight? It's live right now. Is there only a light on that? It's on yes. the other side. And we are live for three minutes and 30 seconds. So, maybe... He says, just... never mind. Okay. No, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> the, the volume button. Yeah, it's yeah, the volume. Turn the volume up, Joshua! <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're... Uh, the master has, uh, has said a couple of times, you know, see, I told you ahead of time, you should not be surprised. And that's the focus of our, our thing here, so that we might understand sequencing um, rather than surprise. Scott, I'm going to 
get on the website here and go find my own uh, uh, deal. So if you've got uh, something to say here, jump in. Sure. So we are um, uh, we're starting off uh, in Revelation at the very beginning, obviously. And the first thing that um, the study guide uh, asked us to do is to take a read through Revelation 1, 1 through 20 and uh, describe what you saw in that passage as a description of, uh, of the Lamb. So I just want to hear your ideas or your observations, what you saw, how the Lamb was described there in Revelation 1, 1 through 20. I had, uh, I had more than two dozen descriptors that I came up with. Of course you did. And I, and I missed some, according to uh, Ms. Kutserini's life. <laughs> <laughs> Only two dozen. <laughs> Anybody? When you say descriptions, does that mean descriptions of him or descriptions yeah. of his ent entire? How do you say what's? How do you say in? Of himself. Yes. Well, he is like a son of man, clothed clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. Oh, there were, there were a bunch just right there, weren't there? Yes. He is the first, he is the last, he is the living one. He was dead and he's alive forevermore. That was good. Nobody else but us heard that, but that was very good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, let's see, I've, I've got here that his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Uh -huh. I like that one. First addresses his proximity or placement, then it gives um, evidence to his title, and then it goes into his physical appearance, right. uh -huh. and then it additionally follows up with four more titles. To That's what good. His physical appearance represents. Uh -huh. Yeah, the appearance. Uh -huh. Yeah. That's good. So, so did, in in those descriptors that you read in one one through twenty, what did you see in there that paralleled back to Daniel chapter seven? There, there were. Yeah, two verses that I picked out of yeah. Dan chapters out that were well, almost. I, I think that's for me. That question is the purpose of this class. That's what we want to see. Is that wait a second? I'm just reading something here, and I read that in the Tanakh. Mm -hmm. These these match up. This this prophet in the Tanakh saw this, and this apostolic writer wrote about it. That's what this class is all right. about. So if you read this and you saw anything that went, whoa, wait a second, I already read something about that, then we've been successful. That's, that's to me, that's uh -huh. the key. That's the key. That's right. So, so, who, so who, yeah, who saw, who, who saw something from uh, Daniel chapter 7? 
Well, his clothing is as white as snow. Yeah, like like snow, and is the hair of his head like pure wool? And what verse are you in, Josiah? I am in verse nine. Uh huh. Joshua Spurlock has uh, brought this back to the uh, image of God on the throne in Ezekiel. So, oh, nice. while in the in the study guide we brought it back to Daniel, he's okay. he's seeing the same things in Ezekiel okay. as well. Yeah, but Daniel 7, the, the, you know, wool, white is wool hair, and so forth. Uh-huh. Just big. So, just I read that, that verse 9. Verse, in verse. chapter 7, yeah, Daniel chapter 7. As I looked, the ones replaced, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. And then 13. I saw in the night visions, and he nay, with cloud with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the, like a son of man. There's the same phrase, the exact same phrase from Revelation chapter one. I saw one like a son of man. And guess Which what? Is a neat parallel. Yes, go ahead. They're also both in chapter thir- in verse thirteen. That's scary, <laughs> but don't put any. Don't, <laughs> Don't read too much what, into it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> what else? Keep reading from the uh, Daniel seven thirteen. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. That's good. So, do you get the feeling that Daniel and Yochanan are seeing the same person? Amen. Yes. Do you get the feeling that perhaps what Yochanan saw? reminded him of what he had read about this in Daniel and he used the same terminology to describe what he was seeing. I never thought of that till you said it, unfortunately. But you're wiser than I am. That's interesting. Yeah. And we've seen Paul do the same thing. He deliberately uses phraseology that ties you right back. back. And of course the master did the same thing when he was telling Stories are trying to put somebody on the spot. You say, well, such and such. And you know, you know, everybody in the room is thinking, well, I read that just the other day. That's back. And the whole passage comes right. to mind. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I never realized that. He's probably deliberately using the same stuff because he realizes, I've seen what my what? predecessor saw. Right, yeah. That's yeah. That's good. That's good. So, thank you, Tony. He wants the, the the readers to draw yeah. those same things yeah. together. And, well. and we believe this is superintended by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Holy Spirit. So, it's obvious that it's not just John being cute, mm-hmm. coy, mm-hmm. but rather God superintending the writing to make sure that we get the connection. Yeah. That these guys at different times. Are seeing the same thing. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that's good. I think that's that's neat. neat. So, uh, uh, so from here, we uh, uh, went to, over to Revelation chapter five. We kind of skipped past the letters to the uh, to the churches, right, and went on to Revelation chapter five to start looking at at what Yochanan is really seeing from the the 
the end times perspective, what is to come. So uh, what did you note in, uh, in your thoughts about Revelation chapter 5? that there is a scroll that apparently no one is worthy to unseal or open, but then the Lamb comes and he is most definitely worthy to open it. And it's an interesting reaction that, uh, that Yochanan had there in verse 4 when nobody stepped forward. To be able to open. Yeah, he wept loudly. Uh huh. Yeah. It's a, a very strong reaction. And, uh, and then he was immediately comforted by w one of the elders. I the love lion. his description. Huh? I love his description. It is neat, isn't it? The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root David, mm. has conquered pestilence. Has, yeah, has yeah. overcome. Both of the, I mean, it's so interesting to put it that way because both of those harken back to prophecies of who the Son of Man is. Uh -huh. I mean, those are descriptions throughout Torah, basically, yeah. of who that person is. So mm -hmm. it's really prophetic names mm -hmm. and being just using used to describe who's coming. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to get us off track, um, but as I was studying this week, my... my my heart was like, well, I'm not really concerned about anybody opening that scroll. What's the problem? You know, I just, right? You know, it's like, this guy's weeping. Not only that, he's weeping loudly. Mm -hmm. I've been with men who are weeping loudly. They've lost major loved ones. You know, companions for wives for 40, 50 years. You know, this is, this is amazingly sad. And I, I didn't get it. You know, I'm like, so we wait a little longer for somebody to open the scroll. What's the big deal? You know? that's, that's not where he's coming from. And I was struck by that. And I, I, was, I felt empty. I was like, well, well why, wouldn't I, why wouldn't I be moved by that? Why would I be disappointed that no one was... Um, I don't, I don't have any clever answer other than um, perhaps the whole, as, we, as, as you read through Revelation, you see these souls crying out from under the way, hey, when are you going to deal with this? We got stuck here. What are you going to do? When are you going to redeem us? When are you going to take vengeance on the people that did it? You know, well, maybe, maybe that's what it is, you know? And, and John recognizes that none of that can happen. The, the master can't come. The, the final redemption, as the Rebbe calls it, can't, won't happen unless somebody can open this scroll. If, if that's the case, you know, I, can, I can buy into that. I can, I, I can wrap around that. But as I was reading this week, I mean, I'm just fluffing past it going, yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad you finally found somebody. Gee, right? yeah. But it, it wasn't you know, it was a visceral uh -huh. for me as it proved to be for him. Right. Um, just to capitalize on what was said, um, the whole reason why we need a Messiah is because we need that righteous judge who lived in this world but overcame it and was thus found worthy to judge it. Most often, we have judges now 
and judges in the past who were considered righteous, but they were not perfect. And this hypocrisy is you have these judges who are judging men for murdering, but in their hearts hated somebody, or for stealing and in their youth stole. So do they really have the authority, true authority, to dispensate judgment on someone when their own hypocrisy is calling them out on it? Yeah, that is the whole purpose why we needed a master, a messiah, was because we had to have someone to judge us. Someone who walked in our own shoes and overcame it and was this considered worthy to judge us for that. And I think this is where he was seeing. Yeah, he was without sin. He was perfect. So that thus he was able to rise from the dead. That death had no hold on him. And that, I think, was what he was seeing. Where is this righteous judge to be able to dispensate God's judgment on the rest of man because if not then man is doomed yeah, everyone's guilty but you have to have someone to differentiate that dividing line and say yeah. this is one group from um in the law obedient and not disobedient yeah, or guilty or innocent let's yeah that's what i'm trying to say it, I was thinking the same thing that it was a bit unusual the weeping but then loud, i loud started weeping I, yeah, the loud weeping. But then I started thinking about how, like, we will get to it in a minute, but we know that the scrolls already, the plagues are already paralleling the Exodus. And so this has a bit of that to it as well, right? So before the redemption comes, just like in Egypt, there was bitter weeping, loud weeping from the people before mm. the redemption. And so John is almost kind of walking oh, out a bit of that's, playing that's that out again, yeah. showing like there's this weeping because the Redeemer hasn't come. The, the one worthy to open the scroll or the one worthy to redeem the people from Egypt. So there's just kind of a, it, was, it ended up being kind of a, a really interesting parallel because yeah. of this, that's what good. seemed to be an out of place weeping. It is good. Mm-hmm. Um, Joshua writes that... Uh, it's also interesting in the savior imagery of Yeshua that he saves from all tribes and nations, which reminded Joshua of Noah, who saved all the animals, sort of a, a messianic prototype, hmm. right? Um, in John, Yeshua said before he came, there was no judgment. Once he came, all were judged. It's hmm. good. Yeah. Very good. I have a, a really interesting scene that... Uh, that described throughout this chapter, where the one who is uh, deemed to be worthy comes and, and takes the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Can you imagine that scene? Yeshua coming and being handed this book by the Father who's sitting on the throne. And as soon as he takes hold of the book, then there's this huge worship event that breaks out. Uh, uh, from the the four living creatures and the 24 elders and uh, the song that is sung there, Worthy Are You Uh, and then the angels in verse 11 uh, begin to uh, uh, 11 and 12 begin to say with a loud voice Worthy is the Lamb that was slain Um, and the, the whole rest of the scene there, the whole rest of the chapter is doing nothing but describing this worshipful event that's happening in the throne room of heaven yeah. that's leading up to chapter 6 where 
uh, or the book is open and the first seal is, uh, is broken. So any other thoughts or comments on chapter five before we head into seals in uh, chapter six? Just one, and, and that's in verse 12. Uh, I was, talk about your basic run-on sentence. I mean, I was just surprised, right? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive fill-in-the-blank. Well, power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blood. Gee whiz. I don't know that I would have written it that way. And yet, the, the ands seem to be there. It also, Kai in the, in the Greek, to, to just separate these things so they don't run together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, dear, wow. The other interesting thing about those, because I was wondering, like, what, what do they all have like, in common? What, yeah, what, what yeah. Is the, what's the purpose of listing them all out? But then when you stop and think, this is what people, especially during Yeshua's time, killed other people for. Yeah. They killed other people Basis for wealth and for death. power and for wisdom and might. And they like literally did the exact opposite of what Yeshua did. Yeah. Like he laid down his life and then received these things. Yeah. And the exact opposite was happening right. with the corruption uh, right. and, and struggling the, for this. for these yes. things yeah. and stomping all over whoever they point. needed to in order to get them. And so Yeshua is just that, that perfect antithesis to the evil, you know, sure. the, the perfect uh-huh. example of righteousness uh-huh. here. And, and these are the things you would typically ascribe to a ruler, a right? Ruler. A king. Yeah. You know, um, power and riches and wisdom and might, honor and glory and blessing. And mm-hmm. these are the things that you, have, that you would typically ascribe to, uh, uh, to somebody who's ruling. Have you guys heard of um, a group called Gruders and, Gruders and Beal? They have the best vocal rendition of this chapter that I have. Huh? But but um, right, yeah. It's this, right? And it's just it's just it's just breathtakingly beautiful. Um, I think I probably have it. Let me see if I can get it real quick here. Not there. Just to add to it, though, you were asking if there's anything else. Um, I think Ezekiel chapter one kind of goes into describing one like the Son of Man and the throne room, the Ancient of Days, and uh-huh. differentiating from that too. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it's yep. not, I just want to point out it's not specifically just in Daniel, but there's other prophets who had a similar vision. Similar vision. Like. Yes. That, that, yeah. Just like uh, mm-hmm. uh, Joshua was saying. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, three, three, three. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Some of the same. Okay. I was just remembering um, on Shabbat when the women read, um, it says, three from one of the thousand thousands and Mary Mary's favorites before. I, I, have, I was trying to remember where I heard that, and I tried doing a search. And the entire Bible of Mary's Mary's thousands of thousands, and it's nowhere okay, else in the Bible. Yeah. But it was here the, the in the favors. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. Well, let's head over to chapter.
chapter 6. And, uh, and in verse 1, the Lamb breaks the first seal. And what happens here? A warrior on a white horse goes out to conquer with a voice like thunder. Saying, come. Permitted to take peace. Describes. Well, in that, I think that's the second seal, right? Oh, I beg your pardon. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So the first seal is the white horse with a bow. Mm -hmm. With a bow. And he, crown. He's given so a crown. Obviously, authority. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Conquering to conquer. Went out conquering into conquer. Mm -hmm. Never understood what to conquer means. That's literally what conquering is, right? He went out to conquer. That means that's what his purpose was. His goal. His goal. He went. He went out with a goal of conquer. So he went out to conquer, and as he was out there, he was, he was conquering. <laughs> so it's both present and future tense. Present. Conquering. Yeah. Present he, he went out and, conquering. Yeah. And, and an ongoing for continuing. What is that tense in Greek called? Uh, the. It's not present. It's. Uh, is it perfect? A, perfect. The perfect. Pre tense. The present perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a tense that we don't have in English. That's right. why it has to be expressed in different thoughts. I remember that now. Do you remember that? I learned that in school. Uh huh. In school. And what is the perfect tense indicative well, of? Well, this one is actually aorist. Um, which would be a point in time, and to conquer at a point in time. Okay. Okay. So he's conquering present tense. Presently. And Aaron's his present intent or purpose is to conquer. At yeah. that point, yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. And right. that Aris tense is a uh, something that happens with a uh, result into the future. Right. Oh, yeah. That's right. So, I interpret this as a spirit of warfare that happens on the nations, or do you think this is a specific person or a nation that is going to be rising against everyone else? Um, you, I, would, I would view it as more, not as literally as a person on a horse going out, but I would view it more in a persona mm -hmm. than a spiritual type of, okay. yeah. Because I don't consider this as a heavenly host of some entity coming down to conquer. I feel like it's, people are going to be at war conquering one another. I hate it when you spiritualize stuff, but in this case... I would only tweak your response by saying you made it sound like it might be plural, but the scripture is clear it's singular. And that leads me to believe that it's telling us that there will be a someone. Now, whether it's a spiritual angel that's, you know, getting inside a bald head, I don't know, or whether it's a man who's got some, I, I don't know, but there's going to be an entity 
individual that personifies yeah. this. And he could be over a coalition. Could be. Yeah. But I think you know, we we would we should be able to point to one mm -hmm. individual, right? Whether we can name him uh, appropriately or not at this point is irrelevant. But one individual, okay. a writer on the, on that white. I beg your pardon. It's riders. It's just someone seated, but a white horse with a rider. Mm -hmm. So it has a crown. Yeah. Right. So, so he has some level of authority. And, and there's aspects of him that we can know and can recognize. Yeah. I think that's right. where I'm going. And you're right. So the horse means he'll be swift in conquering. The bow means he can strike from afar. The crown, I just, I don't like it. That's cool. Like I mean, I, I didn't even think of that stuff, yeah. but that's, yeah, that's, that's cool. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would put too much credence into the, into the horse metaphor, since we've got four of them, right? So. Well, all of them could be representative of the swiftness of which they could be, they could be. implement yeah. their actions. Yeah. Yeah. So also, just to. What? Also, just to add on to your interpretation is that, as you said before, writer is someone who is seated. So he could be seated over a, an army or some sort of mil mil militaristic power or yeah. something of yeah. that sort. I, I, I don't mean to jump in, but you know, I, I think uh, we can see here that we've a horse distinguished from the others, mm -hmm. a rider, and the, the you know the, the issues with the rider you've you've laid out right. He's got a bow, he's got a crown, uh, and and this was given to him. We don't know by whom, but it was given, and he came out and did what he was intended to do. Um, he came out, so. This is, I think, an individual enterprise. Does he do it by himself? Well, you know, Alexander the Great conquered the world. Did he do it by himself? You know, right? Right. So let's read the newspaper rather than act like we're idiots and carry the Bible. So. Right. <laughs> and, and the implication there is that there are people, people groups, there are people that he's subduing, that he's Absolutely. conquering over. Absolutely. So... Um, Good for you. So then we, we move to the next seal in three and four. What do we have here? The uh, lamb breaks the second seal, and what happens? Red horse. Keys. All hell breaks loose. You know, that's, that's not bad. So we've got red horse, which could potentially symbolize blood. a blood, bloody, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Whoever sat on it was granted to take peace from the earth. Do you notice the difference now? The first one, Micah, the focus was on the rider. He did the conquering. And he conquered. This one here, he just takes peace away as if it's a substance 
and everybody starts fighting one another. And in the last line there, right? That so that people should slay one another. And then a sword is given. Yeah. But people are evidently killing other people. You know, this sounds like war to me, but I, I, I noticed the difference in the focus was it's not on the rider. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This this seems to caused be it. It was more of an agitation that's resulted in yeah. actions by the population. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. like he took peace. How do you, how do you do that? Well, maybe you're the guy that shot Duke Archduke Ferdinand and start you know World War One. I. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, was that two? And one. It was one. Mm -hmm. Right? So he took peace from the earth, you know, and people slew one another. It could be something like that. Yeah, sure. Is it you know, because they're angry at what happened? Is it because they're scared at what happened? Yeah. Is it, you know, something's happened that caused men, the, the general population, to react adversely against each other, which is interesting. Um, uh, Joshua notes that a uh, um, couple of things. He's been writing here, and I've been asleep at the switch. Um, uh, of course, he wants to know if anyone was singing Handel Messiah while they were studying, but yeah, we'll move on. Um, he found it odd that uh, the conqueror is first, while war, famine, and death are after. It makes it unique conquering, not the typical war conquest. Zechariah also has a vision of four horsemen, chariots, in chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, which is curious since it's also chapter 6 here, Josiah, just so you know, keep track of that stuff. Um, those horsemen split up to patrol different regions of the earth. In Zechariah 1, also references horses. Interestingly, one of the horsemen there is associated with Shem by one of the sages. Oh, there you go. That's nice. And to your earlier point that John may be deliberately positioning his descriptors as was in Daniel. Uh, it may be that the descriptions here may be trying to parallel with Zechariah. Same parallels, yeah. Very good. Okay, then we move into verse 5. And we've got the third seal being broken, and what happens here? Another horse comes out, and this guy is. Another horse, another color. Is he a form of a judge? Or his scales, so. Famine? Uh, yeah. I think we need to remember that in, in, in those days, the alley, that's how they bought and sold, right? Mm -hmm. So there's scales there, and so you want to. You want to buy bread, oh. right? Mm. So we weigh out how much bread or how much grain you're going to buy. Um, I think it has more to do with cost, necessarily. And, and we get that from verse 6, because the, the voice that's coming out is talking about uh, commerce. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, I think it's difficult for us, I think, to, to read verse 6 and really get a grasp on it because in like in my translation for example they're mixing their english measurements and their greek costs you know um it 
a, a quart of wheat for a denarius. Okay, well, I can, I can probably figure out how much a quart, a quart is, but I have no clue what a denarius is right. or how much a denarius was worth yeah. back in the day that this was written. So let's, yeah. so let's try and put that together for folks. A denarius is a day's wage. So for a guy who's making $10 an hour, you're looking at $80, right? So I don't know how much you spend at Harris Teeter, but if you're going to pay $80 for a loaf of bread, that's pretty darn expensive. So what word comes to mind? Famine. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Food is so darn expensive that people just can't afford to buy it, right? And it's expensive because it's it must be scarce. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I'm reminded of reading the plagues this past week and... Uh, you know, when you get the, the, the kind of the sequence from the, the blood, the bugs, and you know, through those, um, there, there's postulates there from non-believers who are like, well, you know, so the mud silt came up and, you know, and it caused all the frogs to leap out of the water, you know, and then, you know, of course they couldn't land, last without water, so they died, and then they stank, and, you know, yeah, yeah, you could come up with some reasons how this all could have happened. It's still a miracle, even if God used natural measures, because the timing was extraordinary, right? But as you walk through that, you see, oh, I can see why the frogs would die. I could, I could see why this would happen. It's sort of a natural outgrowth of what had happened prior to that. Same kind of thing here, I think. If you truly have someone conquering, and then there's war all over the place with people killing everybody, you know, commerce is going to go by the wayside, and uh, you know what? Nobody's been planting, and yeah, the food's that, really expensive. I'd rather the plants got destroyed. I'm sorry? I'd rather the plants got destroyed. It could be a combination of both, sure, yeah. Horses on top of broccoli crop, I hate that. <laughs> Okay, then we move into verses seven and eight. No. Oh, sorry. If I may, sir. We didn't we don't move into seven and eight quite yet. Do not harm the oil and wine. <laughs> <laughs> no, while I am a This person is obviously Italian. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so I mean. um, Wheat, bread, dip your oil. Here's the oil and the wine, right? You know. Uh, I'm with you. Um, but I guess what struck me was, yeah, it appears that this man is under authority and is only allowed to go so far. Uh, in fact, uh, in this case, the rider has the pair of scales. So mm -hmm. he seems to be affecting the commerce or causing this, this famine, if you will. I don't, I don't know how that goes, but the... The financial aspect is certainly in his hand, but he is actually, this is a command in the Greek, do not harm the wine and oil. His authority has limitations. Yeah, but I'm wondering why they're limited to, I, I love it, but I'm, I'm wondering why. You, know, you get the oil, I get the wine. What's wine and oil used for? Cooking. Kiddish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And dipping the bread on the Sabbath. Right. 
I mean, th these are these are two things that are central in the Jewish culture, Absolutely. right? Yeah. And in temple uh, uh, proceedings. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wine libation. Sure. In the, in the menorah. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. I mean, I've been at your house, and you know, you do kiddish. The next thing you're doing, you're blessing God for the bread, pouring salt on the plate, and ripping the bread apart, dipping it in the oil, and then in the salt. I mean, this this is normal. Uh, the word harm there could be better translated as mistreat. Hmm. So I didn't want to move on without noting there seems to be As you put it, a, a protection of some of the liturgy, and and uh, romance mm -hmm. of our halakha, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. which I think is extraordinary. It is extraordinary in, in, in what seems to be a an unpleasant time. Uh -huh. Which is interesting because it seems like you're alluding to the fact that it'll it's going to prevent. I mean, keep the temple service from having to end. Allow to it to sustain during this time, right? Or at least so, Shabbos customs yeah, in each home, right? The offerings are already been stopped if this is happening right now. You know better than I do, Micah. But uh, now that you're a part of the meeting, if you say so, I believe it. We'll see. We'll see when that happens. We've already seen when that happens, right? We know. We know when that happens. When, just sequence going back to yeah, sequence wise. What's when? When does that happen? You know, harkening back to our prior lessons, the there's a there's a point in time when there's an input. Was it three, three and a half years? years? Three and a half years, yeah. right? Yes. After mm -hmm. the covenant, covenant mm -hmm. made, yeah. Mm -hmm. Three and a half years after the covenant. So we don't have any timing markers that I've seen so far. Correct. Here, mm -hmm. right? Other than seals are being busted by one who is worthy. So it's right. clearly after his resurrection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now we've, you know we've got two thousand years of waiting for seals to be. <laughs> okay, verse seven. And we've got the fourth seal being broken. The fourth living creature giving a pronouncement to come. Um, would, would you get, I think we've kind of glossed over that in one of these things too. The seal's broken and something doesn't just happen. There's a pronouncement made. There's uh, uh, a directive that's being given from the heavenly throne room that causes this event to take place. The seal isn't broken and something doesn't just happen of its own accord. There's, there's an authority being given or a command being given that causes uh, <clears throat> this to happen. So what do we have in, uh, in eight? Who makes the appearance here? Death. The rider is death. An ashen yeah. horse comes. And an ashen death. horse. Isn't that kind of consistent with the picture of death? Yes. This. Palish looking horse and Chlorus. Chlorus. Chlorus is where we get the word chloroform. So it is actually a pale green, but you know, <laughs> in most of the horror movies that the dead guy does look kind of pale green. Yeah. You know, so there yeah. And he had he had somebody following behind him. 
Hades. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And this is the abode of the dead, right? Mm-hmm. What? So is it like? A big bottomless coffin that's being dragged behind this green horse, you know, <laughs> dead into the coffin, <laughs> dead into the coffin, <laughs> dead into the, you know what I mean? It, it's like almost like a, a cause and effect, mm-hmm. a, a, a result, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm reminded of the petri dish experiment where you get the mold growing and you take the What's that pipette? You take mm-hmm. the pipette with the bleach and you, and you're watching all of the mold just die. Mm-hmm. Um, it it appears to be that kind of a, yeah. that kind of thing. It brings me back more to the late 13th century, the um, epidemic of the bubonic plague. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, right. and you see Which all they these land on the Jews, right? Of course, yeah. Um, which you see all these um, old type pictures of. These big barrels of just them heaping dead bodies on yeah. dead bodies, yes. and lack of gra- grave space, yeah. so they're just digging one big hole and throwing yeah. them all into yeah. the yeah. yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Well, you got pestilence, right? I mean, which is going to happen from dead bodies, right? And I guess what else I see interesting is, you know, the peace that was taken wasn't just between human beings, but apparently it was for all living creatures, because even the beasts mm. of the earth are at war with everyone. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So they had uh, this pair, Death and Hades, had authority over one fourth of the earth. That that's a lot. A yeah, quarter I mean, of the earth. Are you you thinking that's one fourth of all living things, or just one fourth of people? Well, it specifically says by beasts of the earth, but. That's I'm thinking how they kill, to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beast. Right. So I'm thinking the quarter of the earth is people. Twenty five percent of the population of the planet. That's a lot of people today. Could that is a heck of a lot of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah could no, no question. Could the one fourth would the one fourth of the earth be of entire surface of the earth or just one-fourth of the total amount of surface above water. You're killing me. You're <laughs> killing me. I, I, I don't think we have an indication that, that the, one, the, the fourth of the earth that he's talking about here is land mass. Is, that, or, is it easier, um, brother? Smack it. <laughs> so, or or a ge, is geography, let's put it that way. I don't get the, the sense that it's geography because what comes right after that is talking about killing with sword, famine, pestilence, and wild beasts. Which would have nothing to do with dirt or water. Um, so, so it would, it would so tend to indicate that the quarter, that the fourth of the earth then would be talking about a fourth of the population, population. of people on the earth. How many people count on the planet? Uh, seven, seven billion? Seven billion? Seven point five. Billion. That was close. <laughs> seven, what? I just looked it up. You 7. just looked 5 it up. Billion. Seven point five billion. That's growing. Wait a week. Couple Let's see years. All right. Seven point five billion. That's holy. Wow. 
If it were eight billion people, a quarter of that is two, two billion. billion people. Yeah, right. That's a big problem. That's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. No wonder why Hades is right behind. Like you said, with the plague, how in the world could you possibly intern those people properly? I think the greatest casualties we sustained in World War II was somewhere around 26 million. So yeah. two billion, that's, that's a, a substantial amount of people. people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. But, you know, again, to the end of the verse, to kill sword, the war thing from prior, the famine thing, two prior, or the other way around, with pestilence, which I think surely would come with two people being dead, you know, with a lot of dead bodies, Mm -hmm. and just, Mm -hmm. that's why I'm not supposed to touch that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then by wild beasts of the earth, which means that, or it implies to me that... The normal order of society, perhaps, has broken down a little bit. You, you're going to be hard pressed to get a guy in here with an Uzi. I'm going to take him out. Overrun by wild boars because, you know, the windows are all busted and we have no heat anymore. I mean, it's probably more likely than than the guy with the Uzi. I'm um, I'm just thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, well, just think here. about the condition of the earth. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Think about the condition of the earth after the first three seals. Yeah. Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. If you're allergic to bees, it could be bees. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. So this might be a good uh, a good place to stop for uh, for this week and pick up here next week. I uh, I did find on my music this. Uh,
Baruch Hashem. That's certainly what the uh, angels and those living creatures are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you could just we haven't we haven't gotten there yet. That's right where I right where I stopped us. But that's almost what we're what's exactly what's described in the next chapter we're going to be looking at. Yeah. The psalmist titled Revelation seven. So, that's great. Micah, now that you're bar mitzvah, you want to close us in prayer? Give us a shot, bud. Do the best you can. It's probably your first time. You know, we'll give you a little breather. Just make sure you do it loud enough that I can hear it. I'll be the challenge. Of the we thank you for the chance to meet together and study together this tonight. Perhaps you could ask God to bless our time next week. <laughs> uh, we ask that you bless your time next week as we study and allow us insight to learn. Uh, should I say your word or John's word? Your, your word. Your word in the end times. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good to see you done, sir.